Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. You supported Real Life Radio. I'm Jeff Young, your host, and I want to invite you to go over to realliferadio.com and find out about the Care to Share program. You know, Real Life Radio is about bringing the joy of the gospel directly to people on the devices that they use to connect to the world as they move through their day. And that may be an iPhone, an Android, a laptop, uh, who knows, because we are all connected, it seems, all the time. And uh, we need, you know, we who try to share the good news of the gospel need to be there. We need to be there. And, uh, you know, Real Life Radio is a media ministry caring for those seeking fulfillment by sharing our faith experiences to find a better understanding of what Jesus and his church is offering. So again, it is so important for us to be there. That's why I want to invite you to go to realliferadio.com and to click on the Care to Share button. Now today on the Catholic Foodie Show, we're going to be talking with John Schlimm, who is the author of Five Years in Heaven. It is my joy to uh, to share this interview with you. What a delight. So let's Let's uh, let's move right in to the interview uh, with John Schlem. Well, folks, I'm so excited today. We we have a special guest with us. Join us, John Schlem, who is the author of 16 books. His most recent book is called Five Years in Heaven: The Unlikely Friendship That's an- That Answered Life's Greatest Questions. John, welcome to the Catholic Foodie Podcast. Hey, Jeff, it is so great to be with you. And I was so excited when I learned that there is a podcast and a great blog (laughs) called Catholic Foodie. Yeah, Food and Faith. (laughs) Well, thank you. You can't beat it. You can't beat that. I I, I, I like to uh, liken it to uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, you know, two great tastes (laughs) that taste great together, Food and Faith. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, uh, I'm privileged, uh, John, I was privileged to get an advanced copy of your book and to to have read it. And yeah, I have to admit, yeah, I got, it was intriguing, very intriguing. I'm going to ask you a few questions about some of the things that really intrigued me uh, up front. Um, and I, I just, it, it, the book did something to me that I didn't anticipate. And I think that's going to come out in our conversation, which is excellent, by the way. It's, it's, it was a very good thing that it did to me. Um, <laughs> but can you tell us uh, just in the beginning here, the title itself was... Um, I mean, it's eye-catching. It grabs the attention, but it it, it it sort of, I don't know, puts you in a frame of mind to really be open to what the contents are. Can you explain why why five years in heaven? What's what's the story behind the title? You know, I the story really uh, touches a little bit on the concept of what is heaven on earth. You know, is it possible? for us uh, to have those rare moments when we experience a little slice of heaven right here. And for me, uh, the five years in this book really uh, allowed me to glimpse something just that I'd never glimpsed before, something majestic and something that certainly uh, I felt was, you know, a little slice of heaven. And, and the idea is that we really all have these opportunities in our lives and we just have to be open to uh, realizing when 
we encounter something that's really special that, you know, we're getting a, a glimpse and um, uh, getting to experience something that's quite rare. And, and I hope that comes across in the book. And that's really where the title came from. You know, this, this is not a near death experience book as some may uh, think it is, you know, you know, as fun as it would probably be to get to go to heaven for five years and come back, uh, you know, I got to do that right here. And, uh, you know, and now everyone else who gets to read the book will get to experience that as well. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, my, my, my youngest child is 13. And uh, I think in the last year or so, they were able to see some friends of theirs. They went to a movie together and they saw one of these movies where someone is like a near death experience kind of a thing. And sure. she saw me reading the book a, a couple of weeks ago and she says, Hey, <laughs> is that like, did somebody really die? And it's like, well, it's, you know, it's a little, a little different. I'll have to explain it to you later. <laughs> well, well, you know, the beauty is uh, we don't have to, uh, you know, have a near death experience to catch that glimpse of heaven. Uh, we each in our own lives get to experience that from time to time. And, and that's really what this book is about. And this, and the subtitle brings that out, you know, the, the an unlikely friendship <clears throat> that answers life's greatest questions. And, you know, can you tell us just a little bit, cause I, we haven't even said anything right now about what the book is about, but, <laughs> yeah. but the, the, the fact is that it, it centers around this relationship, this friendship. And, and you call it in the very beginning there, an unlikely friendship. What, what makes it unlikely? <laughs> well, you know, when I was 31 years old, I was at one of those crucial crossroads in life that we all encounter uh, from time to time. And I had moved back to my hometown in search of a simpler path. And I met, we happened in our hometown of St. Mary's, Pennsylvania to have the oldest Benedictine convent in the country. And I was introduced to Sister Augustine, who was 87 years old at the time. And she ran the ceramic shop on the grounds of the convent. I never... I grew up my entire life here and I went to school right next door to the convent and the nuns were always an important part of our lives. I never knew this ceramic shop existed and was tucked away in a, in a little corner of this convent. And so uh, you know, I met her, it was on February 21st. I still remember the date. And th <laughs> that started this relationship, this great friendship that really was quite unlikely between a 31 year old guy at a crucial crossroads in his life. And, you know, this beautiful woman at 87 years old who really uh, had been hidden away from the world and was ready to retire. And we got to be just the best of friends. And for the next five years, I visited with her every week, once or twice a week, and no topic was off limits. And so it was very unlikely from that standpoint. But at the same time, I want people uh, out there to realize that, again, those kinds of people are in all of our lives, really. And we just need to, to be mindful when they come in and appreciate them. Yes. And, and when you, uh, when you first met Sister Augustine, you said, uh, that, uh, February 21st, you marked it on your calendar, you know, in the book, you, 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 you said you circled it in your calendar. Um, it's almost as if you knew that this was a, that this person was going to play a pivotal role in your life. Can you tell us what was that first encounter like? What was, what happened that made it just so striking? <laughs> 
Well, a friend and I went to the ceramic shop. It was the friend who actually had remembered the ceramic shop from when he was little because his great grandmother would always take him. And I thought he he meant the gift shop at the convent, which we were all familiar with. But sure enough, we we went and he didn't even know if the convent uh, ceramic shop still existed. But sure enough, it was there. And we walked in and it literally was like walking into, I, I think of Luke Skywalker and his universe or <laughs> Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, you know, any of those, because you walked in and it was just filled with the most amazing, colorful pieces, but yet it was this peaceful little humble place. And sister was nowhere to be found for uh, probably the first 15, 20 minutes. And as my friend Stephen and I just walked around and all of a sudden we heard this chuckle coming from the doorway because we were ooing and aahing over all the great stuff there. And I, I turned and there she was just barely over five feet tall, slightly hunched over in full traditional habit from head to toe. Uh, the only, <laughs> the only variation was she had on a bib apron that was smeared with paint <laughs> and and she just said welcome and she had the voice of a grandmother and this twinkle in her eye that I, I just connected with instantly I felt like I'd known her forever and it was it was a twinkle in her eye that said to me I've been waiting for you and wow. I really feel at that crucial point in my life it's no mistake that I was led there and uh, I will forever be grateful for that and, you know, you said that uh, that it was a crucial time for you. Um, you know, you have a, a, a pretty amazing pedigree uh, reading, you know, your your uh, your bio. Um, and you I mean, you have a master's degree from Harvard. Uh, you, you, you're part of or come out of the, the family of the, the straw brewery. Um, you, you've accomplished a lot. You've I mean, at this point, you've written 16 books. I don't know uh, at that at that time, like how many you've had written, but uh, I mean, pretty amazing accomplishments. And, and yet you, you're you were in a in a in a crisis in a sense, huh? Well, my 20s had been a really great adventure. I had experienced working in uh, the office of the vice president at the, the White House. I had been a publicist in Nashville. I decided then to go back to school to get my teaching certifications, which then led me to Harvard. But then all of a sudden I hit my 30s and it was like I hit this brick wall because I suddenly didn't know where exactly I belonged. I started having all these questions about uh, faith and belonging and my purpose. And, I, and again, I think these are all universal questions. That's the beauty of this story. I went through something we all go through probably many times throughout life, no matter what your age is. And so I decided to move back to my small hometown in Western PA in search of that simpler path because I had kind of seen the glitz and glamour that the world had to offer. And I'll always be grateful for that because there's such an exciting world waiting for all of us out there to experience. But then I get home and I couldn't find a teaching job. I, I was subbing, but no one would hire me. I decided I, I really wanted to take those strawberry roots and turn them into the largest beer cookbook <laughs> ever published. <laughs> you know, my great, great grandfather founded our brewery in the 1870s. And so that's a legacy I'm, I'm super proud of. And, you know, we're now the third smallest brewery in the country. Wow. So I wanted to put those, uh, you know, at the time I realized, well, and it's true today, my cousin's 
certainly didn't want me on the production floor. It would have turned into that scene from I Love Lucy. When <laughs> Lucy and Ethel are like in the chocolate factory. So they were happy to let me do, do the book thing. So I decided to write this cookbook. And guess what? One rejection letter from oh, after another came from publishers. So, so suddenly it was like did I make the right decision moving back here? I was just, you know, spinning. And then on a very snowy, dark, late winter's afternoon, I am led into this little slice of heaven on earth, which was full of light and color and beauty and peace and humility. And, you know, at the center of it was Sister Augustine. You are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. Let's get back to our interview with author John Schlem. Your book made me think and reflect a lot on uh, on my history. And uh, I, I have folks I look back on in my life who, who made major impacts to me you know, in my life. And, uh, and and I saw some of the similarities. Almost like I could, I, I knew the feeling, you know what I mean? Like I could oh, feel mm-hmm. what, what, what you were talking about here and there. And, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's almost as if, and I was trying to figure out a way to, to put this into words that I don't, I don't know if I can. It's like when you meet someone like that and you know that there's something there, you you know that there is some sort of a connection, excuse me, that there is a a purpose behind this meeting. Um, It's almost as if uh, it's not necessarily only for a future time, but that, 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 that life changing experience is happening now. You know what I mean? It's almost as if, as an example, I'm a, I'm a, um, that it makes me do something out of the ordinary. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm still trying to wrestle with the way of putting this in, but in other words, for you, you went back a second time, you know, you went back a third time. Yes. You kept going back that, that there was something there that in a sense, it makes a step out of the ordinary. And the ordinary for me, I know I can look back at at times in my life where the ordinary was chaos. The ordinary was uh, frustration. The ordinary was um, me being, you know, woe is me and and life is terrible. And but then there's something that calls me out of myself and and it makes me change in the moment. And I still don't really know what I'm trying to say here. But you, you tell us about that. Why do you go back the second time, the third time? And then, you know, for five years, you kept going back that, that, that there's something there. Well, I think that is one of the things that the, the book answers, because it is something that's very hard to put into words. It's almost like this magnetic pull that you feel in your heart that is, even if you didn't want to go, it's going to pull you there one way or another because it's, <laughs> it's so strong. And that is what really led me back that second time, because by then, you know, the friend who had taken me there the first time, you know, he was, I think, uh, the divinely guided, uh, maybe chauffeur who, <laughs> you know, he, it was his job to, to get me there the first time. Uh, and then he went back to, to New York where he lived and worked, even though he was from uh, St. Mary's. Uh, but that second time, it was that magnetic pull that you're talking about. And 
I really hope that readers, and I think you, you, you said it really well, I think readers, when they read this book, are going to realize that they've had that feeling before. And I think, uh, or at least I hope that Five Years in Heaven will, will put it into words and images so it's maybe easier for them to even understand when they've experienced this in the past, or maybe they're experiencing it right now that they have someone in their life like this, a great mentor or someone who they can share anything with. You know, Sister Augustine's uh, shop and studio became this amazing sanctuary for me when I would go each week. The, the outside world was left behind. I could sit down and while she was working on one of her pieces, we talked about everything. There was nothing off the table. I could confide any secret. I could vent any frustration. I could ask any question. And she was always open to listening to me. And she always had the most amazing answer, uh, to tell me. And I, again, the, the questions I asked her are really questions we all have throughout our lives. And I think that when readers hear the answers she gives, they're going to be able to draw their own meanings uh, that have purpose for them in their lives from her answers. Right. Cause I think, you know, a lot of us, we, a lot of us don't have that, you know, we don't have the, I mean, think about that. It's amazing. An 87 year old woman who is not just a, a, a any woman, this is, a, this is a, a person, a nun who had spent her life, dedicated her life to prayer, yes. to community life. I mean, it was a rich life and, uh, and, and she's with this wealth of wisdom of, of very practical things in the world, she's able to help guide you along. And that is just, uh, that is a gift. And not everybody can, can say that they have had that or, or, or will have that, but there are maybe glimpses where some particular person plays a role in, 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 in our lives that, that kind of opens us up in a way that we weren't open before. Well, and one of the main reasons I decided to write Five Years in Heaven was so that each reader will now have Sister Augustine as a mentor of their own, as that special person in their life. Because the book really invites readers to pull up a chair right beside us as we're having these conversations and having our little adventures that we had, which were so great in the ceramic shop. And they get to join right in. They get to, uh, again, garner their own meanings from the answers revealed. And, and so whether they have had a, a special mentor in their life or not, not, they will now. And uh, that I'm so excited to finally get to share Sister Augustine with the rest of the world. And for sure, when you think that here was a woman who entered uh, the convent as a postulant in the early years of the Great Depression. Wow. And here it is all these years later. She would have been a hundred years old this year. <laughs> so I, so I think it's even extra fitting that the book gets, you know, this is a, you know, an extra fitting, uh, maybe birthday celebration for her that I'm getting to share her with, uh, the rest of the world. And it's just such an exciting thing. And I'm so excited for, for readers to, uh, jump into this book. Uh, that is beautiful. Very beautiful. You know, and I, and I have to admit, um, you know, reading the book, uh, Sister Augustine reminded me of, of so many different people in my lives, you know, in my life, um, in different parts of my life. I spent two years in Mexico, uh, in the seminary with Mother Teresa's priest. And I had the privilege of meeting her on uh, three different occasions. And on one of those occasions, we were actually sitting down in the chapel together, just she and I, and having a conversation for about 15 minutes. I got to 
talk with Mother Teresa and oh, wow. and then pray with her. And uh, I, just, I get goosebumps now thinking about it. And, mm. and I can't tell you how many times I, th- I reflect back on those experiences in my life, which was just, uh, you know, seems like forever ago in, in one sense, but at the same time, uh, seems like it was just the other day. Is that, you know? Um, and so, so Sister Augustine really reminded me of, of Mother Teresa, reminded me of uh, a priest who was very influential in my life early on when I really needed somebody to be almost like a father figure for me. And she reminded me of him too, of Father Peter, uh, Father Peter Dunn, who is actually in Australia at the moment. So I, I, very relatable, very, uh, and, and it spoke to not just my head, but but my heart. And I want to thank you for that. Can you tell us, uh, you know, Sister Augustine shared so much with you over those five years. And and she, um, you, you talk about this answering like life's uh, greatest questions. And the, some of the things that I loved about the book was, was that <laughs> these conversations y'all would have. And it, it seems like there were these universal answers coming through these very simple and, and oftentimes very happy and joy-filled conversations. Conversations. Can you tell us some of the, the lessons maybe that you learned uh, from Sister Augustine, the ones that, that maybe you prize so much? Well, one time I arrived at the studio and there's a chapter in the book called Tiny Crosses, which is about this. And she she made these wonderful little crosses from the leftover clay because she she wasted absolutely nothing. <laughs> so when she would be scraping off the, the rough edges of a piece of moist, uh, uh, clayware before it would be fired, she would start a pile of that clay. And eventually there'd be enough that she would be able to roll it out just like dough. And with a little cookie cutter that I'm sure probably started out in the convent kitchen and eventually found its way to the ceramic shop. She would make these little, uh, clayware crosses, which were just absolutely wonderful. And so I arrived one day and she was making them because I'd actually, and she was doing uh, the, the batch for me because I have a cousin actually on the brewery side of the family, Father Harold, who is a missionary, a Franciscan missionary. We have two priests on the brewery side, which uh, is, is kind of interesting. And I had asked her to make some of these crosses to send back with him. So she said, come on in, you can help me do this. So she showed me how to do it. And while we were making these little crosses, I turned to her and I said, what is one of the greatest lessons you have ever learned in your life. And I knew I had, I had lobbed a, a biggie at her, you know, and she, she paused for a moment and, uh, you know, she had this wonderful little cat Blitzen who was always getting into mischief around and he hopped up on her lap. And as she was thinking about it, and then she came out with one word, forgiveness. Mm. And it was this beautiful conversation that we then had about the power of forgiveness and how fitting that we're making these little clay crosses and and talking about forgiveness, because there was a lot of uh, things that have happened in my life, uh, bullying, which I talk about in the book that, you know, even though that may happen to us when we're younger, those wounds don't heal easily, even 20, 25 years later, and just even just daily hurts uh, that we all encounter. And she said, forgiveness is really a beginning. We always see it as this kind of end point. And oftentimes we hold, withhold our forgiveness because we think by forgiving the person who hurt us, we're letting them off the hook. And she said, that's not true. She said, sure. Uh, Forgiving someone is a, a gift of love and compassion that you're extending to that person. But she said, 
it's an even greater gift of love and compassion and freedom that you give to yourself. Right. Wow. And that was one of the really most profound lessons that she taught me that I carry with me every single day. And, you know, I, I think all of your listeners out there uh, probably can relate that every day there's something <laughs> that we, <laughs> you know, forgiveness, maybe it's actually someone having to forgive us for something, but there's always someone that uh, we encounter. Maybe someone cuts us off on the, you know, during rush hour on the way to work. And, it, you know, <laughs> even the little things like that to the more uh, serious things, forgiveness is such a powerful lesson. And I will forever be grateful that that's one of the biggest lessons that she taught me. That's beautiful. And it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's so simple, but, so but, simple. but it's not, it's, it's oftentimes we find that it's very hard to do. You were listening to the Catholic foodie show on you supported real life radio. We need to take a quick break. But we'll be back in just a minute. Real Life Radio. I'm Jeff Young, your host, and today on the show, we're talking with author John Schlem, the author of Five Years in Heaven, uh, an excellent book, and this is a fantastic, uh, fantastic conversation we're having with John. Uh, before we get back to the interview, I do want to invite you again to go to realliferadio.com and click on the Care to Share link. You know, we say that Real Life Radio is you supported, and uh, you might be wondering what that means. You know, you may be a member, a supporter, or a partner, and you'll find all the information over there, lots of details and, and the benefits really of being a member of our Care to Share uh, program. Uh, as, as a member, you get discounts from partnering businesses ranging from free items to 20% off, all for free for you. Doesn't cost you a penny. Uh, it's easy to sign up. You can sign up over at realliferadio.com and click on the Care to Share link. Uh, there also, uh, you have the opportunity to become a premium member and uh, you get uh, even bigger discounts from uh, area businesses businesses, partnering businesses uh, there, plus uh, the benefit of knowing that you are helping to support us here at Real Life Radio uh, to keep to keep the good news on the air, to keep uh, good Catholic content uh, available to uh, all those who, who listen. Uh, you also can be a partner or a supporter. Learn more over at realliferadio.com. Now let's get back to our interview. That she taught me. That's beautiful. And it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's so simple. But, so but simple. But it's not. It's, it's oftentimes we find that it's very hard to do. And and I guess in a, in a sense it's a paradox because you're right that that feeling of um, maybe letting someone off the hook or uh, even condoning what they did. I mean that feeling, you know, that you're condoning it if if you don't if you uh, forgive them. But at the same time, I think that most important thing is that you know, we rob ourselves of peace if we, uh, if we don't forgive. And, and that came across, uh, in the book 
too. Um, you know, there were a few, there were a few, actually several things that I have underlined throughout the book. Um, but one of the things that, and there are also certain themes that I felt like really spoke to me in, in the book. And one of them is just connecting, you know, yeah. how important it is to connect. And, and I, I mean that in a relational way. I mean that right. as far as person to person. Can you tell us a little bit of, and she, she did talk about, uh, or you wrote about, um, I'm trying to see, I had, I have it marked in the book. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but <laughs> you had told a story about your dad, like the smile. You remember that yes. part? The, tell us a little bit about that. Cause that was, um, I, I love that. Well, she and I had a conversation about how important just connecting person to person really is, especially these days when we are all, no matter who you are, we're all crazy busy running in a million different directions and we're all wired up on our iPhones and computers. And so it's so easy to lose that sort of FaceTime with one another. And, you know, and of course the, the book conveys that, that here I am sitting across from her a couple times a week sharing that time. But I told her the story of my dad who, uh, every time he's in the car and we're driving by, he's always waving and smiling to people. And one time I said, well, who is that? (laughs) I I didn't recognize him. I said, who who is that? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, why'd you, why'd you wave and smile at He said, well, the, the quickest way to make a friend is to smile at a stranger. And again, you talk about the simplest things. Uh, those are the things that flip the light switch in our, in our minds. And I was so inspired by that. And I got to share that story with sister and, you know, he told that story to a priest and the next week he was sitting in church and sure enough, during the homily, the priest tells the story. So, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my dad was wise. Well, it is still wise and very much in the way that sister Augustine was. I always tell him he should have probably been born about 200 years ago <laughs> in the wild West. And, you know, I, I'm not sure he's fit for the, the modern world because, but his wisdom certainly is. We, we need his wisdom. And at some point I think maybe he'll be the topic of, of a book, but that was one of the beautiful things with sister is better understanding the power of our connections with each other. Even if it is someone we are just passing by on the street, just that Mm. simple smile might change their life forever. Maybe that's someone who's very lonely and by you smiling at them, that gives them hope in the world. And it further conveys to us as sister did to me that we're all interconnected. Right. I, you know, someone halfway across the world, I may never meet them, but I'm still connected to them. They're still a brother and a sister of mine. And uh, another thing I'll be grateful for her opening my eyes to. Yeah, there, there was um, another uh, theme, I guess you'd say, that that really struck me. And I, and I say this because, I mean, it speaks to me because I'm, my life is very uh, busy, you know, and I, and I feel like uh, a lot of times, although I desire to slow down, um, it's not easy to do, especially when you have the demands of the world pressing in on you. You, know, you right. got to be at a certain time, a certain place at a certain time and you got to do X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And, you know, so life, life can, can be like that. But that seems to me, as I read the book, one of the themes throughout, because every time y'all are together, it it's like a, an unhurried time. It's a time where you are spending, you're slowing down, you're spending time together. I mean, even the fact that you're, you know, the, the ceramic shop, I mean, it's art, it's, it's something that demands, it's hands-on. 
you can't do that necessarily when you are uh, flustered or in a rush or, or whatever. And then, and then even to the point where uh, on the bowl that, that she made uh, for you, one of the quotes was um, about slowing down. It was, there's plenty of time if you don't hurry. And I want to get that like tattooed on my forehead or something, you know? know. We Uh, all have that tattooed on our forehead, right? Well, you know, you talk about the the simplicity of it and and the humility. And and I loved when you uh, shared your story about Mother Teresa, who, of course, I just love so much as well. Uh, It's so rare in our modern lives to meet someone who is truly humble and who truly embodies simplicity. And I think certainly Mother Teresa did. I think Pope Francis has really, you know, made humility popular again. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, You know, he's actually, I think, made the concept of humility trendy in a good way. And I I, I every day try to uh, embrace humility, which isn't easy in our lives. But Sister Augustine was one of those rare people who I actually got to know who was as close to 100% humble as I'm probably ever going to meet in this life. And I think when we meet those kind of people, there's so much we can learn from them. And certainly when that door to the ceramic shop and studio closed behind me, when I got inside, we were surrounded by humility and simplicity and the bowls you're talking. Well, the bowl you mentioned was the quote bowl, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I had asked her to create. And it was a one time, I was always asking her to do these special uh, pieces like that for (laughs) me. And she was always very kind to do it. But her most famous piece was called the Gussie special. And it was created. And again, you talk about simplicity and slowing down. This was created by her, Uh, cleaning her brushes off on a bowl because she didn't want to waste the paint. So she'd be painting maybe one of her nativity sets or one of the birds and animals that she loved to do so much. Well, she didn't want to just clean that brush off in water and waste that paint. (laughs) So she always had a bowl sitting next to her that she would clean off the brushes. And when the bowl bowl got full, she put it in the kiln and for the fun of it, see what came out. Well, I had discovered the first piece like that on my very first visit, which I write about. And I asked her about it and she explained how she did it. And I was so taken by that. I, I went, when I went back for that second visit, I asked her to do a bowl, which she had never done a larger piece like that. Well, that started this great adventure that she and I had, which led to her in the next five years, doing about 500 of these bowls. Because I, you know, while she was helping me navigate the pathway to a better understanding of who I was and self-discovery, I sort of pulled her out of, uh, you know, virtual retirement and (laughs) reporters into the studio for the first time. You know, she ended up uh, being on the front page of newspapers and, uh, and she didn't really know what to make of that. And, uh, the the big thing she became known for were these Gussie specials, uh, which was so great, but these were not something that she could just pump out again, slowing down and talking about simplicity. Some would take up to a week to do, and they are these really extraordinary pieces, which I've started sharing on my Facebook page. And I've started encouraging others who have them, uh, with the hashtag five years in heaven, sharing them. So your listeners can go and check out what, you know, when we say Gussie special, exactly what it looks like. And of course I would always throw terms at her, like abstract expressionism. I, I would say, this is a great, and she would just, you know, one of the greatest things is she would say, 
you never run out of words, do you? <laughs> so now anytime before I deliver a speech or do an interview, I always look up and say, you better not let me run out of words. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, one of the things uh, that, that uh, struck me in the book too, and I'm the Catholic foodie, right? I, this whole thing is about uh, where food meets faith. It's, you know, I guess the whole thrust, the whole purpose behind the Catholic foodie is to inspire and encourage families and, and friends to get back in the kitchen and get back around the table. Uh, we live in a, in a world that is so, you know, so chaotic and so busy. And, and one of the things that we have lost over the, the last, um, I mean, a few decades is, is just this, these, these, uh, these habits, I mean, you know, family dinner was like the norm for so long. And, and, and now we, we struggle just to find time to, to sit together face to face and talk. So I try to encourage folks to do that. And, uh, I couldn't help but notice as a foodie that, uh, <laughs> that food does play a part, uh, in the book and in the relationship. And you, you shared your cooking with her and, and I, I did not, uh, mention this at the beginning of the show, but you are also a cookbook author. You've, you've authored uh, multiple cookbooks. And, um, can you tell me just a little bit, just your own thoughts on food and faith and relationships, friendships, and how that plays together? Well, I think that I, and that's why I love the mission of what you do, because I think food is such an amazing opportunity for us to stop and slow down, to be mindful in, in several ways in thinking about where does this food come from when we're eating that, uh, delicious vine ripened tomato, which I can't, I'm looking very forward to here in a couple of months <laughs> doing. You are listening to the Catholic foodie show on you supported real life radio. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm Jeff Young, your host, and today we are talking with author John Schlimm. Well, I think that, I, and that's why I love the mission of what you do, because I think food is such an amazing opportunity for us to stop and slow down, to be mindful in, in several ways, in thinking about where does this food come from? When we're eating that uh, delicious vine ripened tomato, which I can't, I'm looking very forward to here in a couple of months <laughs> to doing, uh, we can, it gives us a chance to think about where did that come from? And, and, and that reconnects us to our faith in that way. Uh, but also what you said about sitting down at the dinner table or anywhere that you can sit down and share a meal with family and friends is such a special time that you just cannot recreate. Those are the rare moments that really make life so special and so precious. And I, I think, you know, sister and I, we sat at a table. There wasn't always food between us, usually clayware pieces, but we sat at a table. And I, it, and one of the missions of five years in heaven was to really make it a family friendly book. So whether you're 17 years old, 20 years old, 50 or 90 years old, you can rally around this book and it almost becomes a dinner table in and of itself to sit down and connect across so many different issues. But in chapter 17, since you are the Catholic foodie, <laughs> uh, chapter 17 is called Food for Thought. And it starts out with uh, me and sister tailgating <laughs> in her studio <laughs> while watching, while watching, uh, 
archival footage of Pope John Paul II uh, from uh, youth, World Youth Day years before. But we're sitting there t- watching this footage, tailgating on some of the recipes that I was testing out for the beer cookbook that I was working on at the time, namely chocolate cake and some mm, dips. Wow. And so we did get to share, uh, you know, actual food uh, across the table <laughs> from one another. And we got to bond in that way. But, you know, how great is it to bond over food and uh, with family and friends, whether no matter where you are? And so th- I, I just really appreciate and applaud the mission that you've put forth and especially your tagline, which is so fantastic of where food meets faith because, you know, food and faith are really a match made in heaven for sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's great. I like that. I may have to use that. (laughs) (laughs) A match made in heaven. I like it. Well, and, you know, in in, in talking about those glimpses of heaven on earth, you know, when we're enjoying that tomato fresh from the garden or that apple picked right off of a tree in the middle, you know, I have a favorite apple tree in the middle of a field. And I actually talk about it in the book to pick that apple right off and take a big juicy bite of it. That's a slice of heaven on earth. Oh yeah. Right there. And so we just have to be a little more mindful of those moments and let them, uh, really let them be little, uh, sparks of light in our life. So the book comes out. It's not out yet. It, it comes out in, uh, I think, just a few days. Huh? Can you tell us, uh, tell folks who are listening uh, when it comes out and where they'll be able to get it? It comes out on May 5th, which is very soon, and it's going to be available wherever books are sold. And it's, of course, uh, available now for pre-order on Amazon. And what I'm loving, I am hearing already from people across the country who have book clubs, and they are already... Uh, choosing this book to be their next book club selection, which is really fantastic. And there's a reading group guide on the Catholic image book set or uh, website rather. And so I'm just so excited to be hearing uh, from people who are already ordering it and and gearing up to read it. And I'm so glad you had an advanced copy so that you can share it with readers as well. And uh, one last question, uh, John, this is, um, it's been a delight by the way, to have you here. I have one last question and you've already mentioned this, uh, a little bit. We, we did touch on this here and there, but what's the, what is the one thing you want folks to really get from the book, to really take away from the book? I really want them to be able to sit down with this book and engage in the conversations, really join in in the conversations sister and I had and really pull out their own meanings to the answers revealed. Uh, and I, and I think you have done that. Some of the others who have read advanced copies have done that, but it's important for me to now share sister Augustine as a mentor, as a friend, as that little slice of heaven on earth with everybody across the globe. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So May 5th is the day. And, uh, and John, I'm, I'm going to have this, uh, uh, an article over at catholicfoodie.com as well, um, in preparation for, uh, the, the, the launch of the book, I think on April 29th is going to be uh, an article there. And I, I, I appreciate so much you taking the time to, to talk with us today. And, uh, I am just so thrilled about this book and I highly recommend it. So John, thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully you and I can share a meal one day soon. Amen. <laughs> Chocolate cake with beer. and uh... <laughs> Sounds good. An- another match perhaps made in heaven. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Again, I want to thank John for uh, joining me here on the Catholic Foodie Show. What a delightful 
conversation. And uh, fantastic book, uh, by the way. Again, I want to recommend that as well. Uh, Five Years in Heaven. Um, it, it's a book that is very uh, edifying. It's, it's encouraging. And, and one where where you can, uh, like John says, you know, you kind of get some answers to, to some of life's uh, biggest questions. And uh, highly rec- recommend that. You can find a link to the book, by the way, over at catholicfoodie.com. Now, John also mentioned uh, in the in the, the the course of our conversation, uh, he has another book that he he wrote. He's actually written several. Uh, one that's called uh, "The Ultimate Beer Lovers Happy Hour," uh, featuring over three hundred and twenty five recipes for your favorite bar snacks and beer cocktails, and uh, a really um, fascinating. It really is a fascinating cookbook, and lots of delicious things in here. And a lot of them either uh, can be made with beer or uh, are, are paired with uh, beers, various different beers. And I want to share with you, he did allow me, he gave me permission to do this, to share with you uh, a recipe here. And uh, I'm going to go through it with you right now, but it's also going to be available over at catholicfoodie.com. So you'll be able to go uh, head over uh, to catholicfoodie.com for this particular uh, show, this today, uh, John Schlem, uh, Five Years in Heaven. And you'll find uh, a link there to this recipe for grilled portobello burgers. Now, this particular recipe, and along with several others in the book, he will give you the basis or the basic recipe first and then offer several variations. And that that's what we're doing here with these grilled portobello burgers. Uh, you have the, the, the basic recipe and some of the variations would be a, a mushroom lover's burger, a portobello fire burger, buffalo style portobello burger, and sauerkraut and portobello burger. Now I love those portobello mushrooms. You know, those big portobello mushrooms and, and it can be kind of popular nowadays to, to find them used in this way. If you go out to eat at a restaurant or something, you want something that is a, a vegan perhaps or, or vegetarian. So instead of a big slab of meat, you're going to have a big slab of portobello mushroom. And, and that mushroom is a very meaty mushroom. So uh, here's what he has to say. He says, grilled portobello burgers are popping up on menus everywhere, but none of them can hold a candle to this marinated version, boasting a culinary treasure trove of ingredients, balsamic vinegar, vermouth, Old Bay, soy sauce, and chilies, to name a few. The only thing that can possibly make this burger better is its sidekick of a Belgian ale, American wheat ale, or an American or English pale ale. And that's before you even hit up the potential variations that follow, including a portobello fire burger, buffalo style portobello burger, and sauerkraut and portobello burger. Uh, Really, really good. Excellent stuff. He also references some of the other marinades and beer pairings that you could find in other uh, sections of this book. Again, the book, The Ultimate Beer Lover's Happy Hour uh, is the name of the book. So what do you do with this uh, grilled portobello burgers? Here are the, the ingredients. Here's what you would need. A quarter cup of canola or vegetable oil, a quarter cup of balsamic vinegar, two tablespoons of dry white vermouth, two teaspoons of garlic powder, powder, two teaspoons of onion powder, a teaspoon of Old Bay seasoning, uh, two teaspoons of low sodium soy sauce, uh, one half to one teaspoon of Tabasco sauce, one teaspoon freshly ground white pepper divided, and then two Anaheim chili peppers seeded, uh, each pepper carved into two wedges. Then you take two jalapenos finely chopped, uh, eight portobello mushrooms, about a pound, uh, black gills under the caps scraped away. So you're going to take the gills out. Uh, Four potato bread rolls or buns uh, or regular hamburger buns. 
almonds, two to three teaspoons of chopped fresh tarragon leaves, uh, one quarter cup of mayonnaise. Uh, he has a recipe in the book, by the way, for your own homemade mayonnaise. And then four romaine lettuce leaves halved and trimmed to fit inside the rolls. One tomato sliced and one red onion thinly sliced. You're going to whisk the canola oil with the balsamic vinegar, the vermouth, the garlic powder, the onion powder, the Old Bay seasoning, the soy sauce, Tabasco sauce, and half a teaspoon of pepper in a large bowl. Add the Anaheim chili wedges, jalapenos, and mushrooms, and toss to coat thoroughly. Uh, Marinate the mixture at room temp for about 45 minutes. You want to lightly oil the grates uh, of a grill, right? And then heat the grill to medium. Grill the pepper wedges uh, skin side down until blackened about 10 minutes, turning that after five minutes to create crisscross grill marks. Set aside until cool enough to handle, then rub off the skins with paper towels. Meanwhile, grill the mushrooms covered until tender, about eight minutes, turning once after about six minutes. Remove from the heat and set aside. Split the buns and toast them. Stir the tarragon into the mayonnaise in a small bowl. Generously spread the mayonnaise mixture on both sides of the toasted buns. Place two grilled mushrooms on the bottom half of each burger roll and top with a lettuce leaf, a tomato, and red onion slices. Close the burgers and serve promptly. So that is uh, the Portobello Burgers, grilled Portobello Burgers, out of John Schlem's The Ultimate Beer Lover's Happy Hour Cookbook. You can find that recipe over at catholicfoodie.com. It has been, I'm telling you, a delight to to meet John, to to have uh, the opportunity to interview him. And to talk about uh, those, you know, life's big questions, right? And, and the folks in our lives who can help us to answer those questions. So what a delight. You'll find the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. I want to thank you in particular for being here and for listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. You supported Real Life Radio. Please do let me know uh, what you think about the show. You can always reach me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com or you can leave me a voice feedback, a voicemail, voice email, a voicemail um, at 985 Three five four nine seven four. That's it for today, folks. Uh, thank you so much for being.